From the seventh chapter of the book of Luke, chapter 7, verse 36 and following. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. And he, Jesus, entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing him, anointing them with perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he, he replied, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them, therefore, will love him more? Simon answered and said, I, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You've judged correctly. And turning toward the woman, notice this unique technique. Turning toward the woman, he spoke to Simon. Do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins have been forgiven have already been forgiven. Notice. And those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has, made, has saved you. Go in peace. Now there are three main characters in this drama that unfolds in the life of Luke the story, the Gospel of Luke. There is a Pharisee by the name of Simon. Now the word Pharisee means to separate, and that's what these men were about. They believed that the way to obtain and maintain righteousness was to separate themselves from sinners. And to the Pharisee, a sinner was just about anybody who wasn't a Pharisee. And so to be a Pharisee was to put someone in a status that was just a little bit a cut above everybody else, socially and ethically and theologically. The Pharisees were an order of men that were established in the interbiblical period, the 450 years between Malachi and Matthew. And their purpose was to hold people from mixture with idolatrous, the idolatrous people. And in the process of time, they became obsessed. They became satisfied with 
externality and ritualism and creed. And the Pharisees were hostile to Jesus. Strangely enough, this man of God head, went head on against these who were considered the most religious of all people. They were always in conflict with Christ. And Luke mentions the Pharisees 28 times in his gospel, and every time they are hostile to Jesus. The second character is the woman. She's a special lady. As a matter of fact, this word suggests that she was nothing but a harlot, a woman of the street. And she and Simon represent the opposite ends of the social scale of that time. We don't have an address of where Simon lived, but you know this. He lived on the opposite end of town from this woman. So that if he lived out in Briarwood, she lived way down on the bayou. She lived on the opposite ends of the social specter from this man Simon. And they had absolutely nothing in common. It's an amazing thing that she's at his house. The only reason she's there is because she's drawn there by the magnetism of this man named Jesus, this Nazarene. One thing the narrative makes clear, and that's this, that this was not the first time this woman had encountered Jesus. She had met Him previously, and she comes today because love will always find a way to express itself. And she comes out of the gratitude of a previous encounter with Christ to bring this perfume to anoint Him. Perhaps one day He was speaking to a crowd and she heard Him say, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And she came to his feet for rest. Maybe she was an eyewitness the day he encountered the woman taken in adultery, and she heard him say, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And she claimed that forgiveness for herself. But for whatever reason, she had been there before. And she comes now because she is in love with this man who has forgiven her. The third man, the third character in this drama is the man Jesus. He's called teacher here. And I want you to underline that thought because he's going to teach a lesson to, to, to today to Simon like he's never learned before. Simon goes to seminary and Jesus is the rabbi. Now this is the event. The Pharisee Simon invited Jesus to his house for dinner. It was not uncommon that folks went, the rabbi was invited to some rich man's house for lunch after a service at the synagogue and everybody went there and they just formed a kind of a gallery that sometimes stood on even in the courtyard. But it was one of the main events of the week to go to this house of a rich man and listen to him discuss with the rabbi great theological truths. And so they stood there and watched them eat and listened to them talk these great theological lessons and teach these great theological truths. It is unusual that Jesus is there. Well, Jesus is at home anywhere. But we've already documented the fact that the Pharisees were hostile. So what is he, how, why is he inviting Jesus to his house? Well, I think the reason is twofold. One is because he wants to expose Jesus as a lawbreaker. 
And he thinks if I can somehow trip him up and trap him, and I can get him to step on the law and expose him to these multitudes, I'll gain some points with my peers. And I've already said before that a part of the persecution that Jesus endured was the pursuance of these people to try to trick him and trap him. So he had him there to expose him. I think the second reason he had him there was because Simon was a collector of notables. He was a name dropper. He felt real good having important people around him. And Jesus was the most important person in that time. He had the popularity of the masses. And so he thought to himself, man, won't I look good if I have Jesus, the most popular figure in Galilee, at my dinner party. There are three common courtesies that were practiced in every Jewish home in that time you need to know about. One was the courtesy of greeting. When a host invited a special guest, he greeted him at the door. He put his hand on his shoulders, planted a kiss on his cheeks. It was a kiss of respect and honor. It was never omitted to a distinguished rabbi. It was always practiced. The second custom and practice was that they always washed the, the, the honored guest's feet. They had, bowl, they had bowls of water standing, sitting at the door and the roads were dusty, so they washed their feet to bathe them, soothe them, and cleanse them. And the third thing they always did was to take a pinch of oil or incense and drop it on their head to anoint it. Kind of like the psalmist talks about when he says, He anointed my head with oil. It was a common practice of courtesy, just a pinch, just a drop of oil on the head. And none of these things were practiced. Now that's my introduction. That's the runway, fixed to take off here, so you hang in here with me, because we're going to get to the focus of this story. Now, it may seem strange to you, but the focus of this story is not on Jesus. And the focus of this story is not on the woman. The focus of this story is Simon. And the reason Simon had Jesus there was to expose him to the multitudes as a fake and a fraud. And what's going to happen is that Jesus is going to expose Simon. He's going to strip him naked. And he's going to expose him to himself and to the multitudes for what he really is. That's a frightening thing. We shrink at the threshold of stepping into, the, into ourselves. We face the inward look with fear. The inward journey is a painful thing. Hamlet said to his mother, Come, come, sit you down. You not, do not budge. You go not till I, get a, till I get a glass whereby you can see the inmost part of you. That's a frightening thing. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's bringing this glass and he's sitting it before Simon to reflect the innermost part of that man. And article by article, he strips off of him until he sees himself as he really is. I want that to happen to each of us today. That's the point of this. And the focus of this sermon is not the preacher. The focus of this sermon are the Simons that sit among us today. I bring you this glass and do not budge until you see the innermost part of you. Now the first article he takes off is found in verse 39. 
And here is old Simon, and he's, he's talking to himself. It's called a soliloquy. He's talking to himself, and he's saying, he's murmuring, kind of mumbling, if this man were a prophet, he would know who this woman is. He would see her, who she really is, a sinner. He's just talking to himself. Have you ever been talking about somebody and all of a sudden you turned around and there was that somebody you've just been talking about? That's a humbling experience. You've you just been talking about somebody and you didn't think they were at a thousand miles and all of a sudden you turn around and look them face to face. That's pretty shocking. That's what happened to Simon. Simon is saying, if this man were a prophet, he would see this woman and Jesus steps up and says to Simon, Simon, let me ask you a question. You, you say, if I could, do I really see? Let me ask you a question. Do you really see this woman? You see that in verse 40? Or 42, 44? Do you really see this woman? Now watch what's happening here. Jesus is saying to Simon, you say that I don't see her. Let me ask you, do you really see her? And the answer is no. What he sees is a ruined dinner party. See? And I can just hear him saying to himself, where'd she come from? I mean, how'd she get in here? She doesn't belong in my house. What's she doing here ruining my party? She's raining on my parade. Oh, wow. What? You know, why me? He doesn't see this woman. He sees a ruined dinner party and his pride is bruised. Somebody said the saddest words ever spoken was where I didn't see you. Let me ask you, do you see them? I mean the folks who live down by the bayou over here. Do you really see them? And the people who lift up their trembling hands every day and say, hey, look at me. Do we really see them in their hurts and their haunts and their needs? I mean, do we really? I preached a sermon on the home out in Lubbock, Texas, and after, one of the, after that service, the, the young lady was a pianist, a graduate of McNeese State, very active in BSU, came up to me. And she said, I wish that my parents had heard that sermon on the home. She said, my parents never really saw me. She said, when I got in trouble, they'd say, oh, you have a problem here, let me buy you a new car. Um, you got a problem? I see you're sad. Here, let's go buy some more clothes. And she said, the only time my parents ever told me that they loved me was the day they divorced and I was 21 years old. Do you really see them, you see? I tell you, he didn't see her. Because pride always causes the haves to look down on the have-nots. You ever notice that? And it always seems to be that the haves are always over here and the have-nots are always over here and we're never, be able, we're never able, really able to see the have-nots. Calvin Miller has a marvelous book called The Table of Inwardness in which he says that he was lamenting to one of his preacher friends who pastors as a missionary in a third world country and he said, you know, what has happened in America is that we got these status levels, you know, and the rich over here and the, and the middle income and the, and the poor and, 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 and everybody's looking down on everybody else, you know. He said, I just wish that I could pastor. He said, I've got 
people who live in $200,000 houses look down on folks living in $100,000 houses. And he said, look, he said, that, 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 that's not, that doesn't just happen in, you know, in, in America. He said, listen to what he says, not so fast. In your parish, $200,000 homeowner may look down on a $100,000 homeowner, but in my country, families who live in two packing crates look down on those confined to one. He said, well, I was visiting in Mexico City some time ago. The comfortable home I stayed in looked over a wretchedly poor section of the city. Their dwellings, their dwellings textured the hillside with slums. One small tar paper shack rested above a dugout in the hillside. A single thin electrical wire led into the tar paper shack. Do you see that wire, asked my host. The family that lives in that shack has electricity. I've watched them for a long time and I've never seen them speak to the family that lives in the dugout beneath them. Merely ridding ourselves of possessions is not enough. Renunciation is a matter of the heart. Having is a kind of venom that makes us monsters with status. Now this statement, the most astounding statement I've read in a long time, it takes so little to make us believe we're better than anyone else. It takes just so little to make us believe that we're better than anyone else. It takes so little for us to get to the place where we never see women like that. Do you see her, Simon? Of course he didn't see her. He couldn't see who she is because all he could remember was who she was. She didn't belong there. I don't know how many times I've had people tell me, I can't come to your church. I don't have good clothes. I wonder if we see those people. I mean, really see them. That's one article of clothing he took off. He's ready for the second. He turns to Simon. He says, Simon, I'm going to tell you a little story. There was a guy who once owed $500 to a man, to a, to a creditor, and another guy owed $50. And he said, the creditor comes one day and neither one can pay, so he just absolves the debt. He said, forget it, it's forgiven. Now I want you to get the point of this. Don't miss this point. I don't know if I've ever really ever thought about this before. I got to working on this sermon or not. Let me, I want you to get this point. What he was saying to Simon was this. Both of you, both of you have a debt you can't pay. It doesn't matter how much you owe if you can't pay it. Now the Pharisee never thought he was perfect, but he sure thought he was better than the woman. I can tell you that. He knew he was. I mean, the Pharisee and the publican who went in the temple to pray, the Pharisee didn't stand off and say, Lord, I thank you that I'm perfect. He didn't say that, but what he did say was, Lord, I thank you that I'm not as bad as he is. Now, the Pharisee never thought that he was perfect, but he knew he was a whole lot better off than the woman, and Jesus is driving home the fact that both of them, both of them, owed a debt they couldn't pay. And he was saying to Simon, are you listening? He was saying to Simon, Simon, you're just as lost as this prostitute. Now that's pretty heavy for him to take. 
Now, I said from this pulpit not long ago, I, uh, I was down Homeland, and I didn't have any money. I'd forgotten my money, and I went to check out, and I couldn't pay. Just $4.53, but I didn't have enough money. After I said that from this pulpit, I was down at Homeland the next day checking out, and somebody at the back of the line said, Better be sure he's got the money this time before you check him out. Somebody was watching TV. Now, it doesn't matter how much you owe if you don't have the money to pay for it. Listen to me carefully. I'm going to tell you something that will blow your mind. If the Pharisee was as lost as the woman, that means that the little child who has reached the age of accountability and has willfully and knowingly sinned against God is just as lost, just as lost as the reprobate who has lived all of his life in sin. You think of that for a while. Nicodemus is as lost as the thief on the cross. And the church member who sits in the front pew on Sunday morning who does not know Jesus Christ as his personal Savior is just as lost as the man who sits in a cell on death row who doesn't know Jesus Christ as his Savior. Now that's a mind-boggling thing. Think about that father who is watching on television this morning the next time you bring your child up and let that child out to church and go home. You would dealing with something serious here that a little child is as lost when he reaches the age of accountability as a reprobate who's lived all of his life without God and is headed to the same hell. They're just one. Now one of the most great, one of the greatest tragedies that's happened around here for, the, for a long time has happened in our community and I cannot think of anything worse. My wife and I have almost been in tears as we prayed for these people who are lost in that plane crash. I can't imagine parents wondering about where their children, whether they're alive or dead. Let me tell you something infinitely more tragic than that is that a child who reaches the age of accountability is lost for eternity without Christ. You need to hear this. If you've not come to God through Jesus Christ, you've never come to God. For he said, there's no other way but by me. Somehow I felt like I might stir a little something up there, but I guess I didn't. I'm going to move on to this third article, clothing. He strips off this man. He says to Simon, he says, Simon, who loves the most here in this story? And Simon says, well... Um, the one forgiven the most. You just, do you notice just, can you see immediately what Simon's done? He's, what trap he stepped into? Simon has just admitted that he loves little. He knows who he is in this story. He knows he's the one who's, been, who's owed $50. He has just with his own mouth admitted he loves little. And what is the object? What is the heart of the law? What is the heart of the law? The heart of the law is that you love God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind and you love your neighbor. You love these women of the street as you love yourself. One, of the, one time a keeper of the law came to Jesus and inquired, 
Master, what is the, what is the greatest law? And Jesus said, this is the greatest law. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And they didn't contradict him. They didn't argue with him because they knew it was the truth. That the heart of the law is that you love God and others. You know what Simon's just done? He's just admitted he hadn't even been keeping the law. And he was a Pharisee who was sworn to protect the law. And what Jesus is doing is this. He's getting Simon to say, Simon, you not only love little, but you're not even a good law keeper. Man, I mean, he stripped him down. Let me ask this question parenthetically. Can you, honest, can you answer this question honestly? Have you forgotten what it feels like to love the Lord from your heart? Oh, I know we serve the Lord just like the Pharisee did, many of us. We do all the right things, go through all the right meetings, go through all the motions. But have you forgotten what it feels like to love the Lord from your heart? Have you forgotten what it felt like that day that for the first time you felt him take his hand and just wipe the slate clean and take your sin and hide it? And how you wanted to serve him with the kisses of service because you were so grateful and so happy? Have you forgotten what that felt like? Simon, you don't even love me. You don't even love the law. There's one last article of clothing before he's stripped totally naked. He turns to, Simon, to, to the woman, just like I'm looking at Paula, but he's talking to Dwayne. And he does this because in that day there was a special kind of technique that when you spoke in one direction, but you were talking about somebody over here, it was to bring their life in contrast as though they were side by side. And so he talks to the woman, but he's talking to Simon. He says, Simon, as a common courtesy of every home that when you enter as a special guest, the host greets you with a kiss. You haven't even, you didn't even kiss me. You, you're not even respectful. You're not even courteous. This woman's been kissing my feet ever since I came in. Simon, you know decent folks, people with any manners at all, they have water and they wash my, wash my feet. You didn't wash my... She's been washing my feet with her tears ever since I sat down. And Simon, anybody who's got any kind of courtesy and respect at all would take a little ointment and drop it on their head as a sign of honor and respect. And, and, and you didn't even do that. And she poured this vial of perfume costly on me and has anointed me. Simon, you don't even have good manners. And all of a sudden, Simon sees himself. He's not just a man who's blind to the needs of 
the poor and the hungry. He's not just a man who loves little and who is hardened to the fact that he owes God a debt that he can never pay. So what? He didn't commit murder. And now he discovers that he doesn't even have good manners. And there's some lessons from this story I want you to get in the five minutes that remain for me. The first is this, that the little word go is a very, very important word to Jesus. For he turns to the woman and says, go, go. She wanted to stay. Who wouldn't? When you've just found somebody for the first time who sees you, who knows you're there, when you've just encountered somebody who accepts you and loves you for who you are, wouldn't you want to stay? She wanted to stay right there. That's not, that's not right. For to be forgiven is to be sent into the world to forgive. If you've been forgiven, how can you not forgive? To be loved is to go into the world and love the right kind of love. To be accepted and respected is to go into the world and accept and respect. We're not to stay in the center of spiritual ecstasy, not the mountain, the valley, the boughs and the highways and the hedges. Second lesson is that Jesus is very sensitive to neglect. I'm interested in the fact that at the very end of this, when he nailed him, I mean really nailed him, he did it at the point of Simon's neglect. If you neglect his word, he's sensitive to that. If you neglect his church, his day, he's sensitive to that. If you neglect his witness, he's sensitive to that. That doesn't just fly by him. Because he understands that neglect is the chief enemy of his kingdom. Third lesson, that love is really the reason for service. Now there are a lot of reasons why we do what we do. Some duty, some obligation, some habit, some tradition. Let me tell you, the thing that really matters to God is the service that just flows out of love. Are you listening to me? The thing that really counts with God is this kind of extravagance that wants to pour out its life in love. But drops of grief can never repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all I can do. There's a fourth lesson. It's this. 
your sin can be forgiven. Now the people reclining at the table said, Who is this man who forgives sins? Let me introduce to you who he is. In fact, he's the only one who can. And whether your sin is the sin of the harlot or whether your sin is the sin of the Pharisee, His grace and His love is enough for them both. Let's pray together. Our Father, I pray that you'll take the glass and reflect the innermost part of me and of these people who hear me. And let us not do as James says, when we behold ourselves in a mirror, go away without change. For I pray in Jesus' name, and for His sake, in the spirit of prayer, look, there's someone here perhaps who is just as lost as this woman of this story. No, you've not committed her sin. Of course not. Maybe a child. No, of course you haven't committed murder. You haven't done this. But you still owe a debt that our Lord only can pay. Jesus paid it all at the cross. Come claim that experience, that death for yourself. Come today to be saved. There may be some people who need to plant their life in the church today. Or maybe there's someone here who would say, Pastor, I serve Him, but not out of love. I want to fall in love again with this Lord Jesus. Would you? If you feel the pull of God on your heart, wouldn't you come today, make your decision publicly known while we stand to sing?